Church, let me invite you to open up the Bible with me this morning to the book of 1 Samuel, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to take a pew Bible and open it up. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find the beginning of 1 Samuel 17 on page 227. Not sure how that will correspond in copy, your own copy of God's Word, but perhaps it won't be too far off. Uh, but this morning we turn to one of the greatest stories of all time. A story that if it weren't in the Bible, uh, we would surely have to say that it was made up. A dramatic encounter between a shepherd boy and a giant warrior. Of course, if you grew up in church, then you're familiar with this story, but in preparation for today, I went back and spent some time uh, reading the context that gives rise to this particular encounter. And let me just say this on the front end for myself included. Let's be people who read the Bible. Let us read the Bible. There is nothing like it anywhere. No book anywhere that rivals this book. The Bible is not simply some ancient dictionary that we dust off and open up when we need direction or definitions or details about Israel's history. No, it is a spirit-inspired collection of particular words, suspenseful encounters, tense episodes, clarion calls, and incredibly detailed instructions that when read together provide a beautiful message that culminates in the mysterious truth that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, friends, given that assertion, when we come to this text today, we come asking, what does the dramatic story of David and Goliath have to do with the gospel of Jesus? And by God's grace, I trust that His Spirit will help us see today. But here's the setting. Perhaps you know it. Maybe you need a refresher. Maybe you've never heard it. But the Israelites are in the promised land. In fact, they've been in the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that was promised to Abraham and his offspring. Uh, They've been in this land for several generations now. They've been under the rule of judges who were called by God to lead the people and deliver them from enemy oppression. But now they are crying out for a king. They've looked at the surrounding nations and they've seen how the surrounding nations have a king to be a warrior, to be a hero, to lead them. And they want likewise. And so God provided a king. He provides a king in Saul, a strong man, described as a handsome man who was a head taller than anyone else. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. So King Saul leads the Israelites in battle, but due to his lack of obedience, God is going to take the kingdom away from him. And so the Lord leads the prophet Samuel to Bethlehem, to the home of Jesse, to secretly anoint the next king of the nation, to secretly anoint the youngest of eight brothers, the young shepherd David, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And throughout this book, throughout 1 Samuel, there's a sharp contrast that is being made by the author, by the narrator, certainly by the spirit, between Saul and David. Saul is strong. He's impressive in appearance. He's a proven warrior. And yet David is the youngest of eight brothers. He's a shepherd. He's seemingly unfit to lead troops in battle. 
But David is marked by faith. While Saul is marked by self-reliance. David trusts in the Lord. Saul trusts in himself. And so when Saul faces someone or something that's larger than himself, he cowers in fear. And this is exactly what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when Goliath shows up on the scene. The Philistines and the Israelites have been ongoing enemies. They've been perpetually fighting for an extended period of time, a fight that reaches its apex, its climax, uh, its climax under uh, King Saul. And the two opposing peoples, the Philistines and the Israelites, they gather once again for war, each of them on separate hills facing each other with a valley in between. And 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4, we read that there was a champion, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. In other words, he was just shy of ten feet tall. Enormous amount of armor. He made Shaq look like a schoolboy. No doubt, he was a phenomenon of size and strength, and no one wanted to fight him. The Philistines knew this. So this became part of their strategy. They would send out Goliath every morning and evening to taunt Uh, the Israelites, and to welcome any challenger to participate in this sort of representative warfare that wasn't all that uncommon in that day. You see, if Goliath wins, the Israelites would surrender. And if the Israelites' warrior won, then the Philistines would have to surrender. But of course, no one wants to face the giant, not even King Saul. One day, Jesse sends his boy, David, out to the battle lines to check on his brothers, to provide some provisions for the three oldest sons who were part of the troops. And while David is there visiting, he sees Goliath in action, out taunting. And he responds this way, verse 26 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Translation, why is no one shutting this guy up? Why is no one stopping this pagan, proud man taunting us and our God? So David goes and tells King Saul, I'll do it. Saul responds, no, David, you're crazy. You don't understand. David presses on. The Lord has rescued me before. He'll rescue me again. I'll do it. Saul concedes and says, okay, David, go, but take my armor with you. David says, no, this won't work. It slows me down. And here's where we pick up the story. I invite you to stand now for the reading of this story. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 40. The story continues. Then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Verse 45, David responded, 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So the Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you that you speak to us, and we thank you for the way that you have chosen to speak to us. Lord, you speak to us through stories, or through poetry, through gospels, through letters, a variety of ways. Lord, you speak to us in your perfect way. And Father, we pray now that your spirit would guide us as we look at this story in the greater context of the story of your word. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us respond with faith and obedience. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Well, friends, we remember this story because it's so unbelievable. Clearly written in such a way to highlight the impossibility of the shepherd boy defeating the giant. Think the Oak Mountain Middle School football team against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Think LeBron James against James Colbreth in a game of one-on-one basketball. Probably on that same level. Think me against Will Gregory in a game of one-on-one basketball. But imagine, seriously, the lack of confidence among the Israelite troops when they see that Saul has allowed David to represent them. The contrast couldn't be sharper, and yet David wins. How does this happen? Well, here's how. The sovereign Lord who possesses armies gives victory to his faithful servants. The sovereign Lord who possesses armies gives victory to his faithful servants. You see, if this ancient story is true, only God could have done this. And David credits God all along for being the God who will do this. He understands that this is in God's power. He understands God's presence, and so his confidence is in God. The people of the Lord put their confidence in him. Those who know God, they put their confidence in him. It reminded me of a story that my wife told me that took place, I think, a year or two ago um, in the car on the way somewhere. Uh, my middle child, Paxton, was a couple years younger at the time, and apparently he had got a hold of a Q-tip and was going to clean his own ears. And Ashley, my wife, stopped him and said, no, you can't do that. It's dangerous. Kinsley, my oldest at the time, probably five or so, said, Mom, why, why'd you... Why did you get so upset about that? Why did that concern you? And she said, well, because, you know, if you get that too far in your ear, you can mess up your hearing. And she said, well, that's okay, Mom. Jesus will just take some mud and fix his ear for him. 
You see, she was familiar with another story in the Scriptures where Jesus had taken some mud and opened the eyes of the blind. Her confidence in a childlike way was in the Lord. And similarly, our confidence must be in Him. And confidence in Him leads us to take some risks for Him sometimes. Leads us to risk things for Him sometimes in a way that He leads us. In fact, church, you took a risk. You're still taking a risk, maybe not quite as much, but you took a risk back in 2013 when you called a then 27-year-old pastor to lead you as a church, something that probably looks foolish in the eyes of the world. But when the Lord clearly leads in a particular direction, we're foolish when we don't confidently follow Him. You see, David was confident in his God. He's confident in his God, so he's willing to risk his life to obey Him. And we love heroes Let's look at someone and behold them as a hero. So we naturally tend to make this story about David's courage, his strength. But to make this story all about David's courage or self-reliance, I think is to miss the point. Because the story is not so much about David as it is about David's God, our God. David is absolutely consumed with his God rather than himself. And so he says this in verse 37. This is what he says. He says, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Again, in verse 45, what does David say? He says to Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. That title that's translated here, the Lord Almighty in the NIV, is is not El Shaddai, God Almighty, the title that we considered last week, but is Yahweh Sabaoth, meaning the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. This is the title that is found and, and used for God in Psalm 46, where the psalmist prays in the midst of turmoil. He says in Psalm 46, verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. This Lord of hosts or armies is found 267 times in the Old Testament, implying that God has all the armies of heaven and earth at his disposal. They are in his possession, and when he desires to do so, he may use them for his purposes. Thus, humble yourself before the Lord. Let's be people who humble ourselves before before this one. This is a sovereign one who has the hosts of heaven and the armies of the earth at his beck and call. Writing to believers, Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. You see, anytime we don't recognize the strength of God, we begin to think too much of ourselves. Sometimes we do this on a national level. Sometimes we put too much stock in our leaders. Sometimes we place our sense of security and safety in having the strongest military or the most secure borders or having just laws, but God's word reminds us that true safety and security is only found in him. If you're a student, perhaps 
Your confidence rests in your ability to score high on the ACT or to maintain an impressive GPA. Or if you're a parent, perhaps your confidence rests in your ability to to shelter your children from danger, to keep them on the straight and the narrow. If you're in sales, perhaps your confidence lies in your ability to passionately and persuasively close the next deal. But the Scriptures call all of us all of us, to consider the greatness of the Lord of armies so that when He leads us down the road of the impossible, we say, I cannot do this, Lord, but You can. Help me trust You. Let's trust God to supply according to His plans. Let's trust Him to supply according to His plans. Confidence in God means believing that He is who He says He is, not necessarily who we want Him to be. It means trusting His provision according to His plans, not necessarily our plans. It means, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you, in all believers, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is mighty, and He is at work for the good of His people, the sovereign Lord who possesses armies, gives victory to his faithful servants. So what does it mean to be a faithful servant? It means serving him for the glory of his name. The people of the Lord serve him for the glory of his name. See, David's trust was in the Lord of armies. Yahweh, the God who just is. His confidence was in the Lord who provides in God Almighty, the incomparable and only God, the one whose greatness would be revealed that day in the valley of Elah through Goliath's defeat. So that, verse 46, don't miss this. The one whose glory would be revealed so that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword Or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. You see, it wasn't about David. It wasn't about prestige or power or pleasure. It was about the glory of the God who invited David and his people to know and serve Him. To live in relationship with Him. Let's revel in God's invitation to live in relationship with Him. Let's rejoice in it. Let's celebrate it. Let's be overwhelmed and overcome by the fact that the sovereign Lord of armies would invite each of us to live in communion with Him, in relationship with Him. It's hard to serve Him faithfully if you don't know Him. But if you know Him, it's hard not to want to serve Him faithfully. Overwhelmed by His experience of God's saving grace, Paul the Apostle writes, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is something that Paul uses a few times. He says, in other words, listen up, this is a big deal. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Skipping down to verse 17, he says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, like David, when Paul thought about God's call upon his life, when he thought about the invitation to to know Him, to be forgiven, to enjoy Him, to be rescued by Him, words of praise just flowed from his mouth. 
couldn't help himself. He wanted to exalt God. And friend, the God of David and the God of Paul is the very same God who invites you and me to know Him today. He's the Lord of armies. And yet, He invites us to live in relationship with Him, to fellowship with Him, to commune with Him. Have you responded to God's invitation? Have you responded to the gracious invitation of the Lord Almighty? The invitation to know Him through Jesus, to be called His people. Respond to His invitation and then reorient your life around knowing Him. Reorient, shape your life, adjust your life, all of your life, every facet, every part, every relationship, of your life. shape it, reorient around knowing Him. Perhaps you've known someone, think of middle school or high school, but certainly can extend far beyond that. You, you know someone, or maybe you did this, you were on the outside and you sort of got in an in crowd and then uh, your perception of and your relationship with and your communication with other friends who may have been on the outside changed all of a sudden. Maybe this happened. Uh, maybe you saw this happen in the, my, in the lives of others when uh, they got a new girlfriend, a new boyfriend. Suddenly everything revolved around them and other relationships and friendships changed for a season. So sometimes that's not a healthy thing. Sometimes that's okay. But here, when it comes to knowing and following the Lord of armies, God Most High, this is a good thing. We're called to reorient our lives around Him. And just as the battle that day between the Philistines and the Israelites, between the giant and the shepherd boy, was about the world coming to know the power and the grace of God, may our lives demonstrate the power and the grace of the Good Shepherd in such a way that the world looks at us and they come to know the One who is the Lord of armies, the God who saves, the Sovereign Lord who has the hosts of heaven and earthly armies at His disposal, the One who gives victory to His faithful servants. Friends, the Sovereign Lord who possesses armies gives victory to His faithful servants and the greatest victory, the greatest victory comes because the Sovereign Lord who possesses armies comes to be your faithful servant. The High King of Heaven, God Most High, the only God, comes to be the faithful servant for some time Later, one would arrive on earth from David's lineage, described in the Scriptures as both a shepherd and a king, but he would fight a different type of battle and provide a different kind of victory for when his friend, his close friend, his earthly friend Peter, drew his sword for war. This one would say, put your sword back in its place, Peter. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Or is all the hosts of heaven? But how then will the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? And when this same one hung on the cross, the crowds would shout at Him. Matthew chapter 27, verse 42. He saved others. He saved us, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. 
You see, though the armies of heaven and earth were at his disposal, Jesus submitted to the agony of the cross so that by becoming the suffering servant, God could rescue you and me. By not sparing, by not rescuing his one and only son on that good Friday, he rescued you and me, bringing us into an eternal kingdom, a greater kingdom than that of David, bringing us into the eternal kingdom of the eternal God. Turn far to the right in your Bible. If you get your Bible, so join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's, let's hone in on this victory. We'll, we'll, we'll finish here in this text. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, end of that chapter. It recounts the victory that God has accomplished through His servant on our behalf. The victory that He has accomplished through Jesus for us, for spiritual descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Listen to what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 44. Or 54. He says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Famous words, he says, where, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, though temporary victory for God's people came through His anointed ruler, David, true and lasting victory has now come through His anointed ruler, Jesus the Christ. And just as opposition to Israel was opposition to her God, so the rejection of Christ is the rejection of the sovereign God. The sovereign Lord who possesses armies and gives victory to His faithful servants. So... Receive Christ's victory. Friend, receive Christ's victory. Receive the victory that He has accomplished. The greatest victory. Past, present, and future. Victory that He accomplished over sin and death and its grip on you and me. The victory over Satan himself. Receive the victory of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice has been made. Friends, the price has been paid. The war has already been won. Receive Christ's victory. And for this, this reason, Paul would continue. Final verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. He said, Therefore, therefore, my brothers and sisters, therefore believers, therefore Christians, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So receive Christ's victory today and then devote yourself to the victor. Devote yourself to the victor. Devote yourself to Jesus. Are you devoted to Him? Are you devoted to Jesus, the Lord of armies? The sovereign one who has accomplished victory by God's grace for our good now and forever. Devote yourself to Christ. Live for Christ. Stand firm. Live for Him. Live by faith. Walk by faith in Him. Trust Him day by day. Regarding whatever you face in this life. You see, every day we are faced with various opportunities. At the core, I think we're, we're faced with whether or not we're going to live the Jesus way or the world's way. Two ways that are often at odds with each other. Those who live the Jesus way are not going to sacrifice their character in the workplace for a promotion. 
to live the Jesus way means sometimes we, we make significant sacrifices for, for, for the glory of the God that we serve. See, we, don't, we don't compromise our faith for, for financial gain or flourishing or popularity or prestige or, or any of these things. We live for the glory of the one who saved us and what a joy it is to live for him. We often get distracted. We often go our own way. It means that we're going to give some other things up for the sake of the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, not the other way around. When we're living for the glory of His name, when we're devoting ourselves to this victor, other people will look at us. And by God's grace, they'll see something different about us. Because we'll live our lives in such a way that the world looks at us and comes to know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, may it be so. May it be so in your life. May it be so in my life. Let's be people who live for the Lord of armies. Let's be people who devote ourselves to Jesus Christ. Father, help us to do so. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to serve you. Help us to follow you. For you are worthy. And you're good. Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for the joy of knowing that we are right with you, that we are forgiven of our sin by your grace through our faith in your Son, our Savior. Father, we thank you that you are a miracle worker, that you are God Almighty, that you are the Lord of armies, that you are the one who always is, and you are the one who provides. Lord, help us to recognize your hand and your presence at work in our lives and give you praise for it. Lead us to follow Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.